Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the freight RFP process is broken. Let's fix it with my friend Maggie Petrovich. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here and catch up with you today. Excellent. I've known Maggie, I think for at least like six months, maybe eight months, and very interesting woman. I think you'll uh, enjoy hearing from her. And you know, I kind of feel like we should just end the podcast right now because I think I pronounced your last name properly. So <laughs> that's, that's rare for me. So I'm pretty excited. Well done. Yeah. So before we get started, Maggie, please introduce yourself and your company. Sure. My name, again, as you mentioned, is Maggie Petrovich, and I am... Oh, the... you, you nailed it. <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> I am the VP of Strategic Initiatives for Emerge, and Emerge is reinventing freight procurement. We help enterprise shippers help with their procurement process from an annual RFP down to a, a mini event, and we help connect carriers to those events as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I've had Andrew Leto and Michael Leto on the podcast, and it is a cool new technology. We'll talk about that in a minute. Before we get there, though, Maggie, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us what kind of kid were you? <laughs> so I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a little town called Ambler, Pennsylvania. And I went to the University of Iowa. Uh, I played sports all growing up and had the opportunity to accept a field hockey scholarship to the University of Iowa and found my way to the Midwest and was very confused that I had made it into a place where everyone was nice and people would stop and help you when you were lost, not honk at you. And really just felt right at home in the Midwest loved the school and uh, loved the big time sports and going to football games and wrestling meets, which that didn't exist in Pennsylvania either. And yeah, I really just loved college and probably a little bit too much that led me to stopping playing field hockey my sophomore year because I liked the regular life in college more than the athletic life in college. Oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> but yeah, so I fell in love with the Midwest, and that brought me then to wanting to move to Chicago after college graduation, which we all know is the real home of logistics. Yep. It's interesting. So you played field hockey. I've, I've seen, I've daughters, so I saw Mean Girls, I think about 30 <laughs> times. And I think the last 10 times was on my own because I just got used to watching it. And I love at the end where um, one of the Mean Girls is playing uh, field hockey, and they say, None of those girls care about her being a plastic. And I love, I love that. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty brutal sport. It is very brutal. Um, I have lots of injuries, torn ACL, <laughs> my two front teeth were knocked out, oh, black man. eyes, the whole the whole bit. But yeah, it was really fun. I started playing when I was in sixth grade, which that was another interesting part of going to Iowa. In the entire state of Iowa, field hockey is not a sport at any level of any school other than collegiately at the University of Iowa. So people will come to a practice and say, like, what are you playing? Because they've never <laughs> seen it before. 
but it, it made it cool and that we were kind of celebrities there because we just were basically aliens that people had never seen the sport played in their lifetime. It's it's interesting to me. So we're right in this the beginning of football season and, you know, college football is humongous in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it's very big in the in the East Coast. East Coast is more into like their professional teams, which I mean, I understand. It's just it's funny because you look and go, why aren't they the best team in the country? They have the population around them. It's not as if, you know, they can't play. It's just it's just one of those weird things that happen over time that football was more uh, uh, pro there in college once you leave the East Coast. Yeah, I, well, I did grow up with everyone around me going to Penn State. So Penn State football is still, uh, the, yes. that was the Joe Paul legacy. Uh, so there was certainly that growing up. And that actually led me to why I wanted to go to Iowa. I wanted a school like Penn State, but as far away from home as possible, because I always planned to move back to Philly after college. And that really didn't happen until like three years ago. So yep. my plan was always that and then ended up falling in love with the Midwest. So. Yes, I will say I'm a big Michigan fan. My my dad and mom were always big Michigan football fans, and so they always had season tickets. But when I was at home and my when I was a kid, we would watch always Michigan football for sure, Penn State football for sure, Notre Dame football. Those were like Notre Dame's my second favorite team, and my dad's name was Joe. Also, when and he became a grandpa, he went by Joe Pa. <laughs> so my oh, kids. Wow. <laughs> So yeah, it was a big deal at our house too. And actually, my dad loved Iowa football. I remember it. So I grew up watching certain things. He loved Hayden Fry, their old coach. So I always remember thinking that football that the the world of football was within about five hundred miles of each other. So isn't that the anyway? Truth? So after college, you went into the freight business and you went to Chicago. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, I was planning to always move back to Philadelphia. My dad owned a real estate company that I had planned to take over from him after college. And when I was in college, it was when the recession hit and my dad lost his business. And so that was really a pivotal point in my life and needing to figure out a different plan. And I went to the career fair at Iowa and Coyote Logistics had a booth. And one of my former teammates was a year older than me, and she worked at Coyote. And so I just stopped by to say, oh, my, you must know my friend. And they asked me to come for an interview. And I thought, sure, why not? And my friend I also held in a very high regard. She was University of Iowa Female Athlete of the Year and, you know, the valedictorian of her high school. And I just thought, there's no chance I could work where she works, but sure, why not? And then they ended up offering me a job. And so that kind of, that made me feel good, especially, you know, your senior year of college and you already know where you're working. It makes the ability to have fun a lot easier. You're not so worried about <laughs> the outcomes of your finals. So yeah, it was an exciting new chapter that I was looking forward to and making the big move to Chicago after Iowa. Yeah. I imagine playing college field hockey kind of prepared you for the logistics business. <laughs> it's just as rough. <laughs> so, yes. so, so tell me about your experience at Coyote. I had an awesome experience. I started there August after my senior year. So moved to Chicago. It, it was definitely culture shock after spending four years in Iowa City to move to Chicago and Everything was bigger and better and more expensive. And I was really excited to start working and have my own money. And I started at Coyote. I, they have a very rigorous training program. So it is four weeks in the classroom, 
which was very well needed because I briefly spent time learning about logistics and supply chain and business courses. And I wasn't really engaged because I didn't know that's what I was going to do. I, I definitely right. wish I would have, I could go back and <laughs> actually take the time to learn more about it in school. But Coyote does a really good job of giving you the logistics 101 from their perspective. And from training, uh, joined a enterprise customer account management, which is called customer operations then, and really started working my way up at Coyote through that department. And really the first pivotal moment was moving from customer operations to then doing collaborative transportation management, which was Coyote's really managed transportation department. So I learned how to manage customer supply chains doing that as well, which was really, really cool. Very nice. Very nice. So how long did you stay at Coyote? So I was there eight and a half years. Whoa. Yeah. A very long time. Again, a great experience and just always in customer facing roles. I also spent some time working on special projects through mergers and acquisitions. I moved a few times to Minneapolis and then to Richmond, Virginia when UPS acquired Coyote. And then also uh, spent some time in Poland when Coyote expanded to Europe. Oh my God, what a cool experience. What what a wild ride. Eight years, three locations, spending some time in Europe. That's fantastic. Yes, it was really cool. I feel so lucky to have had those opportunities. And I again, looking back, I never thought I would find myself in the field of logistics. Right. But <laughs> as soon as I got started, I became obsessed with it. Uh, as a consumer, you know, you can't go to the grocery store or shopping and not feel surrounded by everything that logistics touches. And I, I tell my family this all the time that, you know, as an, a normal non-logistics worker, you go to the grocery store and when a shelf's empty, you're pissed. And I say the opposite to my family. And I say, you don't realize how many things had to go right for the shelf to be stocked. Right. And so I think it's just an interesting perspective on the entire world and really what makes me motivated every day to be a part of. Yeah, it's interesting uh, during the pandemic when you would hear like, you know, about essential workers and God bless them all. I'm not, not putting anyone down, but I would always kind of say, yeah, well, your essential workers can't do anything till my essential workers pick it up and deliver. Right. There is no hospital or restaurant or there's no grocery store. None of it happens until logistics and supply chain gets there. So exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting, even though we have so many problems, even now, you know, as, we, as we're hopefully creeping out of COVID, we're still just plagued with problems. But when you think about it, nobody's starving to death for the most part. If anything, you know, I've heard people refer to the COVID-19 or 20 that they gained during the first part of the pandemic. So we're lucky that it works as well as it does. Maybe lucky and good. So where'd you go after you were at Coyote? So after Coyote, I started working at Emerge and I was really drawn to the technology. You know, when I first saw it, I had an epiphany moment of, wow, this is really the future of our industry. And I can either watch someone else do it, or I can take the leap of faith and be a part of it. And that really made, you know, gave me the oomph to want to take the jump and be a part of something truly special. Right. And so I'm going to explain it because I'm a, the, the layman here. And then correct me if I, where I go astray. What I love about Emerge, and again, I learned about it just from having Andrew Leto, Michael Leto on, but I think it's what's so cool is... We've always done these freight RFPs. A lot of them shippers will will send out Excel spreadsheets or Google Doc and say, 
hey, here's all my lanes, please quote them. And when I worked for a carrier and worked for a 3PL, I remember going through that. But we're talking more, I think, you know, geared towards the carrier getting that. And it can be such a weird thing because so often you'll get this email from someone you might have talked to just a little bit and they kind of go, I really don't want to give you a big advantage, so I'm going to hold you at arm's length. And uh, you just fill that out and you're like, so I'm going to do like, you know, a thousand lines of quoting here and <laughs> you're not even going to talk to me. <laughs> and then I'm going to send that back and you're going to say, yeah, we have a relationship. And I always used to think, what a horrible waste of time this is. Because most of the time, you don't get the business. And I remember I worked for a little, well, not a little, 500 trucks, trucking company that said to me, finally, Joe, don't ever fill those out <laughs> until until they give you lanes. Because they had been down this road of your time being wasted. And from a shipper perspective, it's also horrendous. You're like a week or two where your whole life just shuts down, right? Where you, all you do is fill in Excel spreadsheets and look for, for emails to send it to. So it's a horrible process and you guys are fixing that. Exactly. Actually, you're creating a process where there wasn't one. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say just the RFP process in general is broken and we are creating solutions to improve the experience for shippers and carriers. I, you said two weeks. I would venture a guess to say for <laughs> Fortune 50 shippers, this could take three to four months right. depending oh, yeah. on how many oh, carriers yeah. they're inviting. But yes, it is an archaic process that is severely broken and one that has large opportunity for technological disruption. Yep. So let's talk, let's get into the details of this. So let's talk about it in, from two perspectives. So first off, let's talk about from the shipper's perspective, what's broken with this current system? And, that, and when I say the current system, I mean the spreadsheets, maybe whether it be Google Docs or Excel or and the email. <laughs> yeah, I think starting just the fact that we're in 2021 and everyone industry-wide uses Excel and spreadsheets to manage, you know, potentially global supply chains is wild. And a process that, you know, existed when I started the industry 10 years ago has not changed whatsoever in 2021 as crazy to me. And you're right. seeing so much Silicon Valley money go into our industry and nothing has gone into freight procurement. And that's really where we believe the niche is. And for shippers, again, the process is spreadsheets and emails. It could take months and months to even gather the data on the front end to host a bid. Then, you know, the time consuming activities of identifying who you want to invite, should you invite just incumbents? Should you add some new providers? How do you find those new providers? Right. Do you want to engage with them at all? Or do you just want to send them your bid and see where the rates come back and then start a relationship? Right. And there's another piece to all that, Maggie, is the, the process is so clunky right? where you're like, I filled out the spreadsheet and then I, I got, I say this is you collected 200 emails. And one of them is info at xyzcarrier.com. And maybe that's just a, you know, a dead email that no one gets, but you, you've been getting, you know, notifications from that. So you send it, uh, you also send it to Bob Smith at XYZ carrier. He's no longer there. <laughs> Somebody else is on vacation. You get all these things that bounce back. I've had that happen. But on top of that, those guys on the other end, they're looking and going, yeah, I got four of those this week. Right. I don't care. I don't, I don't even work with those guys. You spend so much time with the clunky, broken process the the excel spreadsheets the emails the mass emails 
that you don't work on developing any relationship with the carriers you want to move your freight. It's ridiculous. You don't have conversations. You don't have meetings. <laughs> yeah. And that part is really important because carriers, if you think about on the other side, if a carrier has, you know, established some sort of rapport with shippers across the country and everyone goes to bid during the same time, it creates what, what we call bid fatigue on the carrier side because they're, you know, going through this process with not just this one right. shipper, could be 10 shippers, could, you know, for a whole, whole organization, right. it could be hundreds of hundreds of shippers at the same time. Right. And what right. we're seeing is that it's also creating this dynamic uh, flow of capacity churn um, where, you know, if a shipper or if a carrier is bidding on a hundred bids at once, how are they allocating their capacity appropriately? They're kind of just throwing right. stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and then really fine tuning it when the awards happen, which kind of gets in the way of really a successful bid process at all from right. the get go. And and you know what's another thing? If if I'm a shipper, so it's one thing if you're a three PL. Sometimes a three PL will have long experiences. The coyotes might have the long experience. But if you're a shipper going directly to carriers, you don't necessarily have a vetting process internally. If, or if you do, it's it's not always. Uh, well, I shouldn't say not everybody has that. And the problem is, I'm sending emails out to basically anybody who called me or anybody who sent me an email over the last year or two. So you have that list, and I go, "Yep, I got 200 carriers. Are they the right 200 carriers?" Are they vetted? Are these the dredges? I mean, it, chances are they're mostly good, but you know you got some duds in there, right? Of course. And you know that there's some that you have go, I don't know if they have two trucks or 70 trucks, or I don't know if they work in the Midwest or in the California. I have no idea. I'm sending them an email because they called me one time. Andrew Letta was on the podcast once and he said this and it stuck in my mind. He said, Joe, I've thought this from the very beginning when I got in this business. And again, he's from Global Trans originally. He's one of the founders there. And then he found it emerged with his, a lot of the global trans guys. And he said, when a truck picks up your freight, there's a very good chance it wasn't the best truck to pick up. Right. It was, it worked, it worked, but it, maybe they were 20 miles further away. Maybe it's taking them 30 miles from their home and the next carrier would have been a perfect match. That's the nature of our business where we're, we're always looking for better and uh, we never quite get there in this process. We're never going to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And when you just invite carriers who have reached out to you, you, you by default then are just leading with price. Right. Because if you've had no relationship with them and you've just asked them to participate, you're essentially using them as a benchmark of your incumbents. Right. And what is that constructive or is that more a waste of your time too? Right. Right. And, and if they're not vetted and there's no service quality aspect to the, to why I'm buying, uh, how am I supposed to know? So I'm, I'm going to summarize this. I want to talk a little bit about the problems on the carrier side. So on the shipper side, you know, this clunky process that takes you months, it's broken. I mean, it, anytime you know you're using an Excel spreadsheet to manage your supply chain, you know it's broken. You're not getting the right carriers involved necessarily. Maybe some of them are the right ones, but not all of them. You might not have uh, the ones who are perfect for that. And you might not have vetted carriers in there. You might not have a process internally for doing that. You haven't built that relationship which is a problem all by itself. Everyone wants to be, a, I want to be a, a shipper of choice, but I'm going to send you a practically a blind email asking you, this is the way we should begin our relationship. No Zoom call, no, let me tell you about myself. Nope, none of that. And then you made the point. It's I make, I don't have any real good information. So I make my decision on price alone. And 
this is a fail. <laughs> this doesn't right. work. So we're switching. So. It's interesting now just thinking about, you know, what's going on currently in the market and leading with price is not getting anyone anywhere. It is right. completely driven right. by relationships and the commitments and the carriers who are making commitments are who you want to align with. Uh, so a strategy that pre- previously used to be lead with price is most likely not what's going to work for next year either. Right. Oh, yeah. We are not getting out of this black swan event, we'll call it. We're not getting out of it in the next few months. I mean, I think we're well into 2022 before things normalize, if then. Right. So, and that's assuming COVID actually does kind of go away. Who knows what's what's next? I didn't think we'd be talking about this 18 months later. It's crazy. So on the carrier side, there's just as many problems. We t- discussed some of the problems with the with the shipper side. So the first one, and I'll just throw this out there to you, a softball. I know there's a lot of carriers because I worked with one that they're looking for, like they want to work with the big dogs. They want to work with the very best shippers and they don't always get that chance. So they want the, they want to work with the CPGs like Anheuser-Busch, or I want to work with Walmart or Georgia Pacific. I want to get that Home Depot business or Ford business. And they don't have the opportunity because they're not big enough to kind of get themselves into that. So that's right. a, that's a problem. So to speak to that one. Sure. So yeah, if you think about the couple hundreds of thousands of trucking companies in the U.S. today, most, you know, if not all of them, other than, you know, that tip top national carrier, the rest of this right. medium to down to owners and operators don't have direct access to customer bids. And it goes back to your point of you, there could have been a better truck for that load without direct relationships between those small to medium sized carriers to shippers. Uh, you rely on the broker that owns that lane to fill that truck, which really isn't leveraging the density that you know exists in our industry across the U.S. today. Right. And, you know, we should also say this, I think about 70% of freight business goes directly from the shipper to the carrier. When we talk about this business, we typically talk about the, what goes through freight brokers or 3PLs. I think that's only 25, 30%. I've heard people say that. I've never seen the actual stat, but most most freight goes directly from a carrier to a ship, I mean, from, from a shipper to a carrier. And so, they feel locked out of some of this stuff. They don't get it. Right. And and then the, the other thing that I think that they feel is, okay, I f- I'm going to go to a, a broker. I'm going to align myself with the broker. And I can say this having worked at a 3PO, I've marked stuff up more than they got, right? So they're getting $1,200 and I, I got 2500 for it. And they're the ones who are driving a truck that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're spending, you know, two days moving. And some of them feel like I don't want that business where somebody else took a big chunk, took a big bite of the profit. And that's a challenge. I mean, especially for the smaller guys. If you have, well, not even small, you'd be a hundred trucks. It's a very good business. Yeah, of course. Well, the broker's taking the risk. And so you see that pass through in the rate. But what could be a more efficient and potentially more cost effective process is going directly and connecting these small to medium right. sized carriers directly to shippers. Right. And we'll get to that because that's what emerged us. So so beyond some other problems for carriers, you mentioned bid fatigue. So speak to that one. That's I think that's a I love that term. So I think we're seeing it happen in the industry today. We're we are seeing shippers use our mini event our mini bid feature and at astronomical rates. And I've talked to a few shippers recently and asked 
why this is so prevalent today. And it's because this churn of capacity that's happening, you know, they're looking at their supply chains and realizing that, you know, X amount of lanes are not being adhered to commitments by their carriers. They're going to need to go out and source that those lanes from other providers. And what you're seeing is these huge shippers that typically just had an annual procurement event and a spot board now have something in the middle, which again, if you're servicing hundreds of customers and now they're all adding monthly bids on top of the other events and the experience to a, car- a carrier, a broker, et cetera, is to participate in all of them because those are opportunities to help grow your company. But again, it's a lot of participation to close what 10% or 5% of that entire aggregate opportunity. Right, right, right. So they get exhausted by the whole thing. Yeah, if you couple that then with the opportunities that exist in the spot market, when a category four hurricane hits, no wonder that the spot market is doing what it is doing today. And shippers are trying to find capacity on a regularity on a regular basis. And it's not working. Right. So so I'm going to tick, tick off through a, a few of these problems. And then I want to talk about the solution. I want to get your final thoughts on this problem. And then we'll talk about the solution. So again, if you look at these carriers, the problem they have, they're not getting in, they're not getting invited to bid on the big stuff. They want to work with the big CPGs. They want to work with big auto suppliers. Whoever they want to work with, they don't always have access to it. They got to live with this clunky system, just like the shippers do. Hey, somebody sent you a whole bunch of spreadsheets. Download them, fill them out, <laughs> email them back. And I don't even know who I'm, I don't even know the guy I'm sending it back to. Some, some cases, there's bid fatigue. Also, there's this great unknown. I was talking to my friend Nick Dangles over at Kinetic, and he said, Joey goes, the worst part sometimes is you don't know if they're market testing their incumbents. And maybe they said, we love our incumbents, but we go have a process where we go out and we market test them once a year. So you might have very little chance of even winning this business. You're like, seriously, why am I going through this hassle if they're going to keep 80% of the lanes for their incumbents? Yeah, I think the the great, I'll just add something on that. The great unknown is all it leads to is a higher price because when there's uncertainty for the carrier, they have to hedge and it's passed through in their rate. So the best way to solve for that is back to the data collection on the front end, as precise as it can be, will lead to better pricing. Right, right. And, you know, I said this on a a number of podcasts, but I, I think it's very appropriate for our spaces. We're living in VUCA times and VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, uh, complexity, ambiguity. We live in that. That's where we're living right now. And when you're a carrier and somebody says, please quote this, even if we're right now, the last day of August, 2021, if I said, Maggie, I know you're very experienced. You've got all these connections and all this uh, fantastic expertise. What is the market going to do over the next year? You'd be like, "Um, I don't know. So you have to either add some padding to your price or maybe you get real aggressive and say, Hey, I'm never going to hold this. This is paper rates. If it, if it does, if, if I don't win it, it's paper rates. And that's the weird thing about it is nobody really knows. Should I be aggressive? Should I be conservative? What wins me the business? They don't necessarily care if they can. I mean, I shouldn't say it the right way. They're willing to walk away. They're willing to reject that tender. Do you want me to give you a low price and reject most of these, Maggie? Or would you like a fair price? that I might hold a little more often. It's a it's a weird dynamic. Of course. Yeah, it's, you know, I to be a shipper right now, 
it's a crazy time. But again, I think it's back to the technology. Lean into something that alleviates one of the stresses right now. Yes. So we just described the problems with this, with that we have with the current process from the shipper perspective, from the carrier perspective. Now talk about what Emerge does and how they solve this horrible problem. Get me out of those mass emails and Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> yes, our our technology helps create a platform that shippers can execute their bids. Again, small, whether it be a monthly bid up to an annual procurement event, which is what we are gearing up for right now. Typically, Q4 is when bid season starts and will last until March of the following year, just dependent on the customer segment. So right now we are gearing up for and helping customers prepare for, you know, not only do we have the crazy market going on right now, but we're also preparing for shippers to go send their entire networks out to bid and hope for the best and hope that these rates that they implement now will be relevant for next year. Okay. So let's just use a hypothetical. Let's just say I am a shipper. And I'm here in the great state of Michigan and I want to send, mm, let's see, I am selling staplers. I make staplers here at my stapler factory in, in the Midwest. And how do I sell my staple? I, I say that like I gave it a lot of thought. There's just a stapler on my table here. So, <laughs> so I'm making staplers and I want to send them nationwide. And I, I'm doing some truckload. I have some LTL. And I right now I have, I work with 10 carriers and I have three brokers that I also use sometimes. So. Right now, I'm doing it that other way. And every once in a while, I expand it out to 100 carriers to market test my existing 10. And I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I don't want to go through that month of hassle where we shut down to two RFPs once a year. And I don't want to endure it all the time because it sucks. I just want to do it and get it over with. Why is Emerge a better solution for me? So you could use our platform to invite all of your existing network to the bid and the carriers would log into our platform and upload their submission right within the platform. And we have scenario management where the the shipper could determine, okay, I only want this carrier in this specific region and then I want a brokerage waterfall after the fact, or I really want to work with a minority-led company in this region. So we're we're solving for very unique scenarios that shippers could potentially want to execute and helping them implement those. So I've I'm all my lanes where I'm, I sell the like the 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 staples and those kind of companies and you know Walmart's whatever. So I put all my lanes into your system. I upload them. I let's say I have an Excel or something or out of a TMS. I just upload them into your system and then bring my carriers over and I put them in or I ask them to sign up. How does that work? You would you'll add the contact information of your network and they'll receive an email that says that Mr. Staples uh, invited them to the Emerge platform to participate in a bid. And they're brought right into the UI to register and begin providing their rates. What if they don't want to pay for it? They don't have to pay for the Emerge software. Oh, sweet. So this is all free. All right. I love free it. 99. <laughs> free 99. So is it free for shippers and carriers? Yes, it is. So, so I bring in all my lanes and I bring in all of the carriers I want to work with. And then I do, when I say I want to do an RFP, I just have to, what, press a button? I mean, what do I got to do to make that happen? Yes, you, you set your parameters for how long you want to run the bid for. 
And then you set the dates for when the bid would go live and how long you want the rates to be active for. And again, you just are able to watch all of the submissions come in and use our solutions to, based on the scenarios that, of the output you want to see, what the results are, and then you know use your discretion for how you award those scenarios. And the rest is history. Start executing your supply chain. So as far as the carriers, can you can you vet them for me? Yes. We, we typically would not do that with a network partner because that's your existing relationship. But if we will are introducing any new carriers that we believe to be a good fit based on geography or service levels, et cetera, we will provide additional context around those opportunities. So you mentioned bringing in, so you would recommend, so let's just say I, I brought my 10 carriers and I got my three brokers and I do a, a bid event or an RFP event. And you guys would say, you would offer, say, hey, Joe, if you want, you can bring in some other carriers. These would be a good fit. Yes, it's all creating network effects. So if, you know, X shipper has 200 carriers that they invite to their annual bid, wouldn't shipper Y want to know who their, you know, their trusted network is and where there could be potential synergies across those supply chains? So, so I have to invite them though. So I might, so you might recommend them, but that, then I have to invite them. Which leads me to, so this is a free, if it's free for my, my carriers and free for me, how do you guys make money? We make money through that connection. So if we've introduced a new carrier, then that is how Emerge profits from the relationship. Okay. So you're making money. You add it. What, what kind of fee do you add to it? It depends on the shipper uh, and the relationship, but it's a minimal fee in comparison to a brokerage fee. Right. So it's a better deal for a carrier because they're not having somebody take a big bite of the profit. <laughs> Ideally, yes. And the reason for that is, again, trying to create network effects. So at scale, it works. Right. It, 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 it wouldn't work if you charged every carrier to come in because they're going to go, no, thanks. I'm not doing it. It wouldn't work if all shippers said, oh, no, no, thanks. The only way it works is to, for it to be free and easy. And I'm assuming it is easy to use. I've not use, used it. But one of the things that we were prepping for this, you said this is so much easier to do than the traditional way that, that people are doing more, no more RFPs. So they're doing them quarterly or every half year or even for a season. So speak to that a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're doing them. We're seeing monthly bids right now, again, just because of what's going on in the market with carriers not upholding their commitments or supply chains changing, facilities that might be shut down because of COVID and they have to move product somewhere else and procure new capacity out of a facility that didn't exist before. We're seeing, you name it, is happening right now and causing shippers to run bid events. And so you know, the ability to stand up a solution is crucial. And then additionally, the ability to evaluate the submissions quickly and make an, you know, on the moment decision, which previously could take three months to do is really where shippers are leveraging the technology today. So do you guys give me any insights when that, so I make, I got to make a whole bunch of decisions here. Do you give me any tools that I can use to evaluate the, the quotes I get back? Yeah, that's part of the um, scenario building offering that we will have live for RFP season this year. That's very cool. I think what's interesting about this is, and again, the, the normal process can take a long time. It can be painful for both carriers and shippers. And I think most shippers go, I don't want to endure this more than I have to, right? So you do it once a year and you hate that that's that hell weeks that you're doing it, right? Exactly. And it, the problem is when you're asking somebody to quote for a whole year, you're just, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. But if I could say, look, we're in, 
I, I want to say VUCA so bad, so I'll say it again. <laughs> if we're living in VUCA times, don't make me guess what's going to happen a year from now or six months from now. Let me bid for the next three months. And I can be a little more, as if I'm the carrier, I can be a little more aggressive, right? And I say, I really want this business. And so I'm going to, I'm going to quote it in a way that I think I'll win it. And I'm not at enormous risk because things won't change nearly as much in the next three months as they will in the next year. Exactly. Yeah. I think that that will continue to be the trend that we, you know, you can read everywhere. What are, what's going to be the, the COVID impact to X industry? I think that we're going to come out of this and the procurement process for transportation will be completely dynamic as opposed to the annual stagnant bids that we've seen because we've learned right. that why shouldn't we do it that way? If we can do it, why did right. we wait to do it on an annual basis when we can do it on the fly? And there's products that help you do that. Right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, every other industry uses some sort of procurement tool, but this the procurement tools that are out there aren't made for our business. Exactly. And this is why, you know, a lot of times if you're talking to supply chain people, purchasing for a long time, purchasing guys didn't even really wade into logistics and transportation. They're like, oh, the guys in the guys in back, <laughs> they managed that and because they didn't have the tools. They didn't have the knowledge, the expertise. And now I think we're bringing this, this technology that long overdue, we needed it. And again, this, this process has been broken for a long time. And it, it's going to solve a big problem, which is the tender rejections. And the. And I think also I can build relationships now. And the reason I say that is I'm not f- so focused on this broken old technology. Now I can focus on I'm going to pick the right carriers and I'm actually going to have a phone call with. I'm going to meet them once a week or whatever I need to do so I can actually be you know exactly. knowledgeable with their challenges too. And I used to be in sales and that would be so frustrating that, you know, you want to have these conversations, especially during the bid process to understand where are the shippers problem areas? Where do they see you fitting in? And when you get the response of I'm too busy and you don't blame them because compiling an entire network and then analyzing the results would be a cumbersome task. But if you have the ability to free up time and can focus on more strategic conversations and how that's going to alleviate your your day-to-day issues, why wouldn't you do that? Right, right. It's this is a this has a, been a big challenge for a long time and again I think this is the solution that we needed a long time ago and I'm glad we have it now. And um what I want to do I'll, I'll summarize the problems and some of the problems and some of the solutions and then I want to get your final thoughts on this. And then I want to hear we were talking about what conferences you're going to and not going to and that was a little depressing, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> for that. So if you're a shipper you right now you have this broken process. It's archaic. I don't have the right carers involved necessarily. I just have the ones who keep calling me <laughs> and then my incumbents, obviously. I don't necessarily have the right relationships because I've spent so much time mass emailing people and managing spreadsheets that I haven't focused on becoming a shipper of choice. This clunky process, lack of relationships. I don't necessarily vet people because it's hard for me to vet people. That's a tough thing for a non-3PL to do. And so I make price-driven decisions. And those price-driven decisions don't always help me because they just get rejected. Is their paper rates. I got I got exactly. I got all I had all these tender rejections. Yeah, Maggie gave me great pricing, but Tev's never moved freight for me. Great. <laughs> so then on the carrier side, I love what you said. You said bid fatigue. Um, carriers don't have direct access to top you know, the best shipper freight. They want that shipper freight, a direct relationship, and this is the opportunity. They're living through the same archaic process. They get they get worn out by this. They don't know how to bid. It's hard to bid a year out 
it's hard to bid three months out. I can't envision what it's like to have to bid a year out. And again, they don't, they don't want to be held at arm's length. They want to have a relationship with the shippers they work with. And then talk about, again, summarize what, the, what you can get with Emerge, and then we'll, we'll wrap this bad boy up. Sure. So, you know, as we're approaching bid season, I think it's important to look into how you would handle your bid season uh, in your annual bid process. And is there an opportunity to leverage technology uh, to improve some of those manual processes that you just strictly don't have time for anymore? And, you know, we love the tagline emerges reinventing freight procurement. I have my own tagline of what we do, and that is building game-changing technology. I truly believe that the products that we're putting out there will revolutionize our industry and create a better experience for shippers and carriers. Yep. And and I think you said the annual bid season. Again, I think it's uh, what percentage of your people using Emerge are now at quarterly or monthly? I would say of of all the shippers using our tools, about 95% are doing some sort of mini event today. So meaning meaning they're necessarily stuck to that annual anymore. They're moving towards that quarterly or the, even monthly. Exactly. Yep. That's fantastic. Well, if, once you make it simple enough, if the process isn't painful, you don't, you're willing to do it more often. And again, I think this is a better solution for both sides. You can't really have a good relationship if you're you're forcing, you're, if I say, oh yeah, Maggie gave me a really aggressive price and she's going to hold it. Ha ha, I win. Or the other way around where the market d- took a dip and uh, God, I can't envision mm-hmm. what that sounds like anymore. But if the market took a dip and now um, I'm paying, I'm paying more than I have to, to Maggie, it, it that's not the, that's the win lose mentality that we want to get rid of. We want win win relationships with our shippers and carriers. So before you go, Maggie, Who's the sweet spot for Emerge? And you know who are you guys serving right now? So if you are a shipper who procures transportation in a non-transactional basis, I would say that's our sweet spot. I typically you know, use anything greater than three loads a week should be procured in a contract basis instead of spot. That's typically where you can leverage cost savings and still see a benefit from utilizing the same carrier time and time again, as opposed to playing the spot market in in a world where there was softness, which TBD when that will be again, but that's really the sweet spot. And then, you know, the carriers less than typically, you know, a thousand power units is really where we're um, pursuing within our mar- marketplace. Nice, nice. So you've got a lot of carriers showing interest? Yes, we we just did um, a net promoter score and it was in the excellent category from the carrier standpoint. So that was really exciting for the future of our products as well. Excellent, excellent. So Maggie, we were talking about the conferences that we are going to, or in some cases not going to. So speak to what you guys are doing in terms of conferences. Yes. So the one that I still believe is in person is CSC and MP, which is in September. We will September be September 19th. Yes. We will be doing a demo there. I will personally be attending the Gartner virtual conference and Freight Waves, which TBD if that's in person or not. But, you know, we were really that's looking forward yeah, to all of these events. And unfortunately, it looks like they will most likely be virtual, but we will still be there through Zoom. <laughs> yeah, ex- excellent, excellent. Well, better safe than sorry. And you know, it's funny. We, we all, I think, enjoyed when we couldn't travel. You're like, hallelujah, I can stay home for a, mo- a few months, and then, uh, then you go, God, I, I wouldn't mind getting on the road again. <laughs> yes, I'm actually <laughs> a uh, little bit. 
a little heading, bit. Yeah, I'm heading tomorrow to Arizona for the first time. So looking forward to seeing everyone in person and just getting out of my office for a day. That's right. Emerge is based in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. They're based in Arizona and you're based back in Philadelphia. All right. Well, you know what? You're picking the wrong time, Maggie. If you're from the mid- <laughs> the Northeast <laughs> or the Midwest, you should visit Arizona mm, January, February. <laughs> Oh, that, that's I my favorite time to go. I struggle to get you out there. Yeah. <laughs> I just haven't been so far in 2021, so I'm going to go see everyone in person. Yeah. It'll be great. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Maggie. So what I'll do is I'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I'll also put a link to Emerge website, whatever links you guys give me for them, and then any conferences you're going to, white papers, anything you guys give me. If Eilish gives it to me, I'll put it in the show notes. And it's really great talking to you. Wonderful. Great talking with you, Joe. I appreciate your time and um, having us on to do a nice little chat. Yes, yes, yes. This is cool. It's funny because there's a lot of times when you're doing podcasts where somebody talks about stuff that is, you know, been there, done that, right? It's not a, it's not a game changer. This is a game changer. It really is. I mean, this is, this is something it needed a solution a long time ago. It's funny. Um, I had a conversation this morning with JBF Consulting, Brad Forrester. And one of the things he said is any part of your supply chain that's being managed with Excel or with emails probably should be looked at. <laughs> and then exactly. we talked about Emerge for that reason. I was like, great tools. They give us a lot of flexibility. And they if you have a gap, they fill it. <laughs> that's, that's the technology gap. But somebody has done better. That's Emerge. So I'm looking forward to uh, learning more and seeing more people use your platform. Anyway, thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you, Joe. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yes, thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.